Hello and welcome to what is my podcast about Wimpy Bite version, condensed version of our podcast that we release at uh, random intervals whenever we have a topic to talk about into condensed matters. To be well, fair, I wouldn't say this is a random interval. I, true. I, well, we yeah. have chosen very specific dates to release special episodes, of which this is one, Matthew. Yes, and then other times where if we come across another topic... Uh, like, for instance, whenever we finish the next season of JoJo, we'll do another Wimpy Bite. Yeah, so anyway, getting right into it. This time, we're going to be talking about very remember memorable Christmas classics. Uh, memorable is one word for it. I remember the feelings I had watching them, and then I went back and watched it. I was like, oh, fuck, yeah, yeah I right. Think, I think that's an emotion we all had. Yeah. It's like, oh, wait, wait a second. I don't remember this. Yeah. What the fuck? Now, as for the one that I'm talking about, I remember it very vividly because I, in some manner, always watch it once every year. Whether it being on TV or what have you. And that one being the good old Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Now, it's the typical story of Rudolph being born and uh, everyone in the North Pole rejecting him because of his red nose. But my God, rewatching that now, it's like you just see how absolutely atrocious everyone treats Rudolph. He's born, and then his father's like, what the hell, you're an abomination. We gotta cover that up right hey, no, now. So am I. I mean, he's, he is a freak. Yes. Santa Claus comes in to see the newborn reindeer from one of his best sleigh-pulling reindeer, and he's like, my god, you gave birth to an abomination, Jesus. <laughs> I hope you grow out of that, otherwise you're never being on my sleigh team. I'm gonna be honest, if I had a child and a part of the child's anatomy that was usually darker glowed bright red. Yeah, I'd be pretty fucking worried about that child, too. This is clearly the spawn of Satan. I should not have brought it into this world. But yeah, so they hide his nose, cover it up, and uh, he goes about his normal life, sounding albeit a little nasally because of his covered nostril. And Which is just mud, right? Yeah, it's just mud picked up off the ground, ca yep. cave floor. How does no one catch on to that? Uh, I think they just assume he's, like, into some shit because he's just always got a mud-covered nose. Like, he's constantly digging through the mud. No, I, th I think later on they actually have made some sort of little fake nose that they stick on his schnoz. Fair enough. Because I was gonna, I don't think mud's that good of an no, insulin for that long. No, not at all. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so... ask the Predator. Mud's great at hiding things. Heat. <laughs> yeah. So Rudolph grows up a bit, goes to the reindeer games for uh, learning how to fly and tryouts and all that for joining the sleigh team. And lo and behold, he does the best out of everyone there in the flight team. He attracts the attention of uh, Clarice, a uh, reindeer doe, and they start to hit off really well until uh, Rudolph's nose comes to light, pun intended. Oh, we knew. We know. <laughs> Matt, anytime you say a pun, it's always intended on this fucking <laughs> podcast. There's never once been an unintended pun out of your mouth. I only realized that was a pun until after I said it. But it was fully intended afterwards. Um, I meant it retroactively. Yeah. I'm retroactively taking uh, credit for that. But immediately, everyone goes bonkers, haywire. They're like, what the hell are you? You're a monster. Even the coach is like, yeah, no, you go away. We don't want to have anything to do with you. Everyone stay away from this freak. Clarice is the only one who's fine with Rudolph. And then her father comes along. He's like, no, you stay away from this abomination. We don't want anyone to be in contact with Rudolph. So Rudolph strikes out on his own. Meanwhile, at uh, Santa's workshop, we've got uh, the elves making toys. And then there's Hermie. The one elf who, I'm pretty sure he's not actually an elf because he doesn't have pointed ears like all the others. So I think he was just adopted or something. Anyway, he can't make toys. He wants to be a dentist. And now, to be fair, when I was younger and I watched this, I was always more interested in his story than yes, Rudolph's. Because he was actually competent at dentistry. How does an elf learn a trade like that in a society which only values toy making? How did he learn to become competent at dentistry? Now, I thought about that, and uh, the purpose of Santa Claus and the whole North Pole operation is to give presents to all the good girls and boys. Some academic children might be interested in books and textbooks. Hermie might have come across one of those and been like, ooh, this is interesting. That or he's just, his whole thing is he's not good at dentistry, but he's really good at making horrifying teeth on toys. Because that's another yes. thing. 
He fixes doll's teeth. Much to uh, the disgust of some of the other elves. <laughs> well, and most of the viewers. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> horrifying teeth demons. <laughs> yeah, so uh, he gets fired. But then he's like, no, I'm not getting fired. I quit. And just leaves on his own. Oh, like me. Legally binding. Yes. And so him and Rudolph come across each other. Have a merry little sing-along about how they're misfits. And they don't fit in, but they don't need to fit in because they're special on their own and they can live how they want to we don't fit in together yeah we can we can be independent together as they say you're cool with me working on your teeth right dear that's the thing you're all right with me working on your teeth <laughs> let me touch your teeth rudolph doesn't even know what a dentist is but he's like hey yeah you can be a great one of those i guess so they strike off immediately realizing once a snowstorm hits that uh they're well out of their league they have no idea how to take care of themselves until and uh, watching this again reaffirmed how much I love Yukon Cornelius, the intrepid North Pole prospector on his journey for silver and gold. He's got a gun. He's got all the materials <laughs> he needs to prospect. He that's, has, that's the only qualification you need in this. He's got a gun. He has a dog sled with dogs that are so adorable, but they don't listen to him. And, uh... You know, Matt, I'm just cluing into the fact that you've said you've watched this in one form or another every year. Yeah. But in addition to that, I also know, I think it was about two years ago now, you created a D&D character called Yukon Cornelius. Yorick Cornelius. Yorick Cornelius. Entirely based off of Yukon Cornelius. I just wanted to clarify that it was, in fact, based off of this character. <laughs> oh, yes. Okay, good. And Yukon Cornelius has the amazing ability to, when his pickaxe strikes into the snow, taste as to whether there's gold or silver beneath the snow. Yeah, that's some fucking magic BS right there, if I've ever heard it. It's magic pickaxe. Yeah. yeah, and then... Uh, I mean, Santa Claus is in this movie. You gotta complain about magic? I'm not complaining about magic. I'm just suggesting that that is definitively magic. They've got to run away from the abominable snowman now. Because, uh, as we learned before, he's a terrible creature who hates Christmas. And uh, also now he's being attracted to the glow of Rudolph's nose. To be fair... There's never really an indicator within this movie that he specifically hates Christmas, aside from people saying things. Yes, yeah. aside from the narrator, a talking snowman named Sam, saying that he hates Christmas. Oh, it's, it's Sam, the one with the goatee, right? Yeah, the yeah. one that looks yeah, surprisingly like Colonel Sanders. Of course. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so uh, Cornelius... Colonel Sanders? Yes. <laughs> I hate myself. <laughs> you call Cornelius... Was uh, in the middle of uh, trying to get his dogs to pull the sled. They weren't listening. So he's like, all right, dogs, hop on the sled. I'll show you how it's done. And starts pulling the sled with all the dogs, all his equipment, and Hermie and Rudolph. When the abominable snowman shows up, starts chasing them. And Yukon Cornelius, pulling all this weight, outruns the massive beast. And he's like, we've got to use the one weakness that these abominable snowmen have. They can't swim, so he chops off a piece of ice and floats off with the rest of them into the ocean on a little iceberg. Now, I just need to point out here, uh, is this about Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer or about Cornelius? Because it's clearly shifting in a direction. Yeah, I know! <laughs> this is the story of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, but it's more like it's Yukon Cornelius' tale starring Rudolph. To the story of Yukon Cornelius and how Rudolph witnessed most of it happen. Yes. And how... I guess in how essence you call Cornelius saved Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I would be so much more interest, interested in this story if it was entitled How Yukon Cornelius Saved Christmas. And Rudolph, I guess. Because then eventually they're floating through the water. They crash upon some island out in the Arctic Sea, which is the island of misfit toys, where they come across living toys somehow that... Uh, no one wants, like, a jack-in-the-box named Charlie, a train with square wheels on its caboose. To be so, fair, the Charlie in the box is the stupidest reason out of all of these, because oh, like, yeah. he's a still full-functioning toy, it's just his name is Charlie, so no one wants to play with yeah, him. Yeah, they only want to play with the jack-in-the-box, not a Charlie in the box. I need to ask you a question about this, Matt. Yes. I'm sure it's not addressed by the movie, but in your personal opinion, does this mean that all toys are alive in this world and it's set in the Toy Story universe? Or does the act of being unowned and unloved grant life to toys just so they can suffer in their misery? That's of a good point because we don't see any of the toys earlier in the movie in Santa's yeah. workshop alive. I was so is it just the lack of desire for them manifests yeah. in the form of existence. Knowing we were going to be talking about this, I kind of thought that over 
once I got to this point in the movie. I'm like, yeah, that makes sense now that you say it. But I also thought maybe these toys were made like this on purpose by some elves or some other elves like Hermie aren't good at making toys. So they're <laughs> they're just, into necromancy oh, and attaching they souls. They just made to these objects. absolutely to- horrible abominations of toys. The souls of the lost to attached ch- to this Charlie in the box. Gave them to children and... Uh, like they did, they didn't like making toys, but they were elves, so they had to make toys anyway. Alternative theory here, like a certain percentage of toys that are made are naturally alive. Like I don't, know, let's say one percent of all toys that are made are naturally granted life, and the elves realize this is a fucking problem. So they intentionally, once they realize the toy they're making is going to be alive, make it bad and wrong to ensure that the kid throws it away. It's like, oh fuck, this jack in the box is gonna be alive. Uh, real quick, this is a Charlie in the box. This is not a Jack in the box. Oh, fuck, this train's alive. Give it some square wheels. To be fair, this does kind of fit with the narrative of the story, because we already saw they're not inclusive at all, because Rudolph just had a red nose, and they told him to just fuck right off. They are willing to throw people into society for gunfighting in. Yeah, the king there is like, "Eh, yeah, this is an island for misfits, but you're not a toy. You or the elf, so you can just leave. <laughs> Even the king of the misfits is like, fuck you, you're too much of a misfit for our island of misfits. And also to top that off, he's like, hey, yeah, I know you left because you're misfits, but when you go back to Santa, can you tell him that these toys are here and need <laughs> yeah, to go your back to kids? bullshit. We are homeless out here. <laughs> We're homeless, but you're not homeless enough to hang out with us. <laughs> if we hang out with you, we get less cool. <laughs> so yeah. The three of them. Fucking Rudolph getting bullied by homeless people. Rudolph, Hermine, Yukon Cornelius sleep the night in a little shack. They're like, okay, we'll head back in the morning. But we're going together because apparently Rudolph's like, no, my nose is too dangerous. It'll lure out the abominable snowman. I can't put you in danger anymore. So uh, when the others are asleep, Rudolph just goes out on his own. Classic protagonist shit. Yep. Then, uh... There's a little montage about him living on his own, making friends, and immediately losing those friends because the parents of those wildlife creatures, like polar bears and such, are like, that's a freak, stay away from it. This movie really wants, or not movie, this Christmas special really wants to nail home the idea that freaks are unwanted in society. Yes. But um, Based my life around it. Yeah, but yeah Rudolph grows up, and uh, it's been quite a while now, so we get back to his parents back in their cave and uh like his father's like oh no i gotta go say search for him his mother's like i'll come too and then his father leaving is like no you're a woman stay in the cave this is a man's job (laughs) (laughs) and i gotta admit i did not remember that when i watched it again that's like i thought you said you watched this movie every year man yeah i thought you said these values had been instilled in your soul man (laughs) yeah that would not fly today that I wonder why. But sure enough, after his father leaves, uh, good old Rudolph's girlfriend, Clarice. Wait, Rudolph has a girlfriend at this point? Well, the the deer who liked Rudolph. Oh, then the was female told, friend yeah. of Rudolph, yes. Yeah. So I just took a quick look, and it takes four years for a reindeer to reach maturity. Yeah, which was, uh, for these reindeer, only a couple months, I guess. Yeah. Apparently there's also not enough time to instill the values of equal rights. Yeah. <laughs> So, once the father leaves, Clarice and uh, Rudolph's mother also head out to try to find Rudolph. Yeah, Rudolph comes back, and still everyone's like, yeah, you're a freak, get lost. So he goes back home and uh, sees that no one's there. Santa comes, saying, oh, your parents left looking for you months ago. Okay, why didn't anyone go search for them, I guess? Also, isn't his father, like, one of the important reindeer? Yeah. <laughs> why is Santa not worried about this? Donner, one of Santa's eight reindeer, who actually, in the end scene, does not pull Santa's sleigh. <laughs> he's there giving Rudolph, like, his congratulations at the end. Like, go lead the team, and then just doesn't get hooked back up to the sled. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so, uh, turns out, after Rudolph left, Hermie and Cornelius went out searching for him. For the next several months, because that's what good friends do. And uh, Rudolph, after learning that his parents were gone, went out searching for his parents. And that's when the snowstorm of the century kicks in. And uh, Santa's scared because uh, if the snowstorm doesn't clear off, he's going to have to cancel Christmas. Classic move. Can you imagine uh, being a child in like a relatively impoverished household 
And having your parents explain to you, oh, no, it's snowing in the North Pole. Christmas is canceled this year. But it's always snowing in the North Pole. <laughs> oh, but it's snowing in the North Pole. Christmas is canceled. <laughs> Nobody's going to get gifts from Santa, I promise. Just don't even ask your friends. They told Rudolph to fuck off. <laughs> but yeah, Rudolph finds uh, his parents and uh, Aunt Clarice, or Clarice. And they were captured. Yeah, fava beans. No, they were captured by the abominable snowman. Oh they no! Were, they were about to be eaten, so Rudolph had to jump in and save them. Except, uh, well, sure, he did a mad juke around the uh, abom- the bumble, as Cornelius calls him. The bumble quickly grabs a stalactite from the cavern and smashes it over the head of Rudolph, knocking him out instead of killing him. And that's when Cornelius and Hermie show up to save the day. Like, what are we gonna do? And Yukon Cornelius comes up with a great idea. Oh, the Bumble must be hungry. He can't pass up the chance for a pig. And then Hermia imitates a pig to lure the Bumble out of the cave where Yukon Cornelius drops a bunch of boulders on his head to knock him out. Those Arctic pigs. Yes. And then... As we all know, anyone will abandon food they have already captured in exchange for the chance at capturing an Arctic pig. Yes, because those are a delicacy. And they're rare. So they go in... Well, Yukon Cornelius goes in to save them. And they're shortly followed after uh, getting them all awake from being unconscious and about to leave. The Bumble comes back in. And they're like, oh no, what are we going to do? Looks like we're going to have to fight our way out. No, no, don't worry, guys. Hermie comes in. He has saved the day. He took out all the Bumble's teeth. Which makes Hermie also the most horrifying person in existence. (laughs) Yes. The Bumble is now toothless. And as according to Yukon Cornelius, that just makes him a big wimpy baby. And Yukon Cornelius chases him out of the cave and off a cliff. And uh, everyone thinks that Yukon Cornelius is dead now. So, <laughs> about Hermie. Yes. How long was this exchange after the bubble had been knocked unconscious and re-entered the cave? How much time had passed? Not much. And Hermie using that time. I'm going to be honest and use the word rip and not delicately surgically remove. He used that time to rip out every single one of the bubble's teeth. How far of this dentistry thing do you think is just Hermie wants to collect teeth and not so much actually, you know... Do dentist stuff? I don't know. Was yeah. this actually just the, not the origin story of Rudolph, but the origin story of the Tooth Fairy, except we're just not given that explicit Ooh, detail? It might be. And we have to put our fallen out teeth under our pillows, not because the Tooth Fairy will pay for them, but to appease him so he does not take them from our open mouths. Do you think he tried to steal Cornelius's teeth in those, like, six months? That might also be true. Do you Ooh. see Cornelius with teeth? Not that I remember, but, uh, mind you, my attention was always drawn by that big bushy beard and mustache that he has. Vibrant red. Fantastic appearance. (laughs) Gotta Google that now. Yep. But, um... Yukon Cornelius' teeth is now a thing that's in my my Google search history forever. (laughs) But anyway, they go back to Christmas Town, sad because they think Yukon Cornelius is dead. And, uh... Yeah, they're all getting ready for Christmas. Santa makes the final sad announcement that Christmas is cancelled. And then, uh, all of a sudden, there's a knocking at the door of the workshop. It's like, you hear Yukon Cornelius' voice. Open up. This weather here is not, not fit neither for man nor beast. So the elves open the door. In comes Yukon Cornelius pulling a rope. It's like, here's the man. And he comes in, pulling the bumble. And here's the beast. Scaring everyone, obviously, because the big old bad... Abominable Snowman hates Christmas, apparently. Asterix. So, a quick bit of Googling, and I can confidently say we do not see Yukon Cornelius' teeth, so it is safe to assume they were also removed by Hermie while he was asleep. And that's not his last victim. No, of course not. There's probably elves, too, that lost their teeth, and that's where he got the teeth for the toys. That's also probably why he was kicked out of elf society. I'll get to that. Hermie's gotta stop building these teeth with the teeth you steal from other elves. (laughs) I'll get to that in a second. So, Yukon Cornelius quickly shows that he has reformed the Bumble by having the Bumble expertly place the star on top of the really tall Christmas tree that the elves just couldn't put up there for whatever reason. It's because they're short. That's the reason. Sure. Because they've decorated the entire tree up to that point. They just didn't put the star on. Why did they create a tree that they... Or, not create a tree, but use a tree that they can't access the top of? That's the real question. So, from here, it's the typical... Rudolph scenario. 
oh no, we can't go, the storm's too bad, we can't see. And then Santa realizes, oh Rudolph, your nose is so bright I can see through the snow. <laughs> Red light refracts differently than bright light. You're not an abomination anymore because you can save Christmas. You have a use. Man, if I was Rudolph, ah, uh, I would be like, yeah, no, you guys, you guys were dicks to me. I'm not saving Christmas for you. This is your mistake. In fact, my one predator out in the wild is now harmless, so I'm just going to go live out there for a bit. Yeah. You guys can keep hurting me, though. Yeah. Think on what you've done. This is your punishment. Peace. But yeah, that's, uh, that's Rudolph. But, uh, before we wrap up, the head elf is like, okay, Hermie, you can have your dentist shop. He's like, all right, open up. Let me see your teeth. It's like, oh no, that doesn't look good. I'm going to have to schedule for your an appointment a week from Tuesday. It's like, oh no. How much do you want to bet that the thing that Hermie said doesn't look good is the fact that the head off still had teeth in his mouth? <laughs> still had perfect teeth. Yeah, the teeth that I could use. That he needs to take. Yeah, of course. But yeah, that's uh, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Of course, with the stop off of Santa and his sleigh at the Island of Misfit Toys to pick them up. Now, I, I believe that that scene was specifically added later yeah. because the toys were never addressed in the original version and, and people, people complained, complained about letters. Yeah. yeah. So they had to add an, uh, essentially a, a release an extended cut where they addressed the toy problem. There was even a little bit at the beginning of that scene where Charlie in the box is like, oh no, Santa's forgotten about us. Looks like we're going to have to wait until next year. And then he comes and everyone's happy. All right. So I'm going to talk about Frost and the Snowman now, because you've almost broken me and I need to move <laughs> yes. on. Um, so, Frosty the Snowman, sim in a couple ways very similar to Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. The first way is it also has a narrator who likes to put his thumb on the scale of what the audience is supposed to think. Uh, so it opens with a narrator explaining that uh, it's the first snowfall of the year. Uh, it's a magical snowfall that makes enemies, friends... Uh, makes the jolly jolly, the happy happy. And it's just like, so it does nothing other than making enemies friends. Good to fucking know. And then he explains that it's magical because it's the first snowfall of the year. And it's also the day before Christmas. So Christmas Eve, when the first snowfall happens there, that's when the real magic happens. Now, anyways, we are introduced to a classroom full of students who are in class on the day before Christmas, of course. As you As you do. And the teacher has decided that they're going to have a Christmas party uh, and to perform for the Christmas party, she hired the worst magician in town uh, is <laughs> pretty much how the fucking narrator describes him. He is a magician who can't do any tricks other than when he takes his hat off to bow for them at the beginning. Literally every single magician's supply you can ever think of comes falling out of the hat, which is neat. But uh, essentially, he tries to pull a rabbit out of the hat. It goes poorly for him because he is the worst a magician in all of town. So he angrily throws his hat on the ground and then the rabbit hops out of the hat. At this point, the teacher just says, fuck it, kids are cool to go home. You can leave now. There's <laughs> I don't want to subject to this anymore. And the rabbit starts running away with the hat on his head. Meanwhile, the magician, rightfully so, is chasing after his property, namely the hat and the rabbit. He manages to catch up to the rabbit right at the same time as the kids are singing a song about building a snowman as they build a snowman, and debating what to call it. This is a beautiful point, because I think this was specific to the version I was watching where there was some audio degradation before they made the DVD. But they're discussing what to call him, and one guy's like, what if we call him George? And then another child, quite sincerely, says, what if we call him? And then, for the briefest moment of time, it sounds like a fucking demon is talking to this child. <laughs> it's like, what if we call him Boymert? And it's just like, Okay, let's not call him that. Another kid recommends they name him Oatmeal, and then this little girl's like, "Now let's just call him Frosty." And everyone's like, "All right, yeah, let's go with that." So I'm pretty sure they just summoned Cthulhu, or just one of the old Let's go ones. back to Blipblorb. Yeah, let's consider Blipblorb. Uh, so the hat is Eldritch the, God of the Other. Uh, so as the magician manages to catch the rabbit, uh, the hat is blown off of him and lands perfectly atop Frosty's head. Twitchy says the classic frosty line we all know and well so well in our heads I can picture every time he comes to life, which is Happy Birthday! <laughs> I have no fucking clue why that's what he says when he comes to life. It's his birthday, I guess. Uh, it is his birthday, I suppose. But how would he have any knowledge of what a birthday is? Oh, don't you fucking address the knowledge he has, because that's a fucking issue going forward. <laughs>
the kids, uh, the hat gets knocked off and the kids say, ah, oh, Frosty came to life. Clearly there was some magic in that old silk hat. But I thought uh, the snow was magic. Well, the kids don't fucking know that, apparently. Uh, which immediately leads to the magician, who is the worst magician in town, realizing, if that hat is magic, I need to get it back, because it will make me a better magician to have a ma- hat that's actually magic. Which is weird, because he had the hat all along and was not a good magician, so I don't know how having the hat he always yeah. had access to will so make I guess him... It's because he didn't worship Satan. Yeah. Clearly yeah. that's the factor here. Yeah. Little blibbler worshipper there. Do so... Uh, he yells at the kids for trying to steal his property, takes back the hat, as well as the rabbit, puts them both on his head. This is where the narrator starts to put his thumb on the scale a little bit, because we have, like, the introductory, like, so-and-so playing so-and-so. And then the narrator comes in right after the intro credits and explains that the hat really and truly belonged to the kids and Frosty and not to the magician. So the rabbit is 100% <laughs> in the right in what comes next, where he jumps off the magician's head and runs the hat back to the kids. Which is just definitively not a fucking thing. The kids have no claim to that hat. It was the man's and he was chasing after it and it got fucking blown onto the snowman's head. That does not make it the snowman's hat. Plus, if this is really a demonic snowman, that magician was in the right, regardless of his skill. Yeah. Oh yeah. So then, once again, uh, the rabbit runs back with the hat, returns it to the snowman, uh, and the kids are like, oh, it's the hat. They put it on his head, once again... Happy birthday is the first thing he says, because that's what snowmen say, I suppose. And here's where we start to get into the issues of what snowmen understand and don't understand. Because he acts very confused about how the world works during this introductory scene. Uh, And then he starts to sweat. He says, is there a thermometer around here? Which, how the fuck do you know what a thermometer is? Let alone what it does. And then the kid's like, yeah, there's one right over there. And she points at the school, and on the brick wall is an external thermometer. And it, you see the red bar, like, climbing to the top of the thermometer. And he's like, oh, no, a red thermometer. And she's like, what's wrong with that? And he's like, well, any time a thermometer gets red, the temperature rises. And when the temperature rises, I start to melt. This implies- How do you understand all of this information about the world? <laughs> also, the, the way that's phrased implies that the thermometer is what's causing the heat increase. Yeah, the thermometer, the heat increasing doesn't cause the thermometer to rise. The thermometer rising causes the heat to increase. So the kids get very worried because their new best friend, Frosty the Snowman, is going to melt and that can't happen. And he explains there's one place in the world he can go where he won't uh, melt immediately. The refrigerator. Uh, close, the North Pole. So he's okaying theft and now he's going to uh, spirit a bunch of kids away to the North Pole? <laughs> kids, I just escaped from hell and I need you to get me out of here. So he, we'll get there. So he explains that he needs to get to the th- North Pole. And the kids are like, oh, absolutely, I know. We'll take you to the train station in town. And he's like, all right, sweet, let's go uh, catch a train to the North Pole. A thing anyone can do, as we all know. Yep. Um, they run through the town. Uh, you start singing the lyrics to Frosty the Snowman. And you get to the point about, uh, he only paused for a moment when he heard him holler stop. Where there's a traffic cop directing traffic and he yells at Frosty to stop. And Frosty's like, hey, stop stealing those kids. And Frosty's like, what? And he's like, didn't you see the traffic light? And then Frosty's like, what's a traffic light? (laughs) And the traffic cop's like, it's that right there on the lamppost. And Frosty's like, what's a lamppost? At which point I, sitting in my chair, I'm like, what the fuck, Frosty? How do you have knowledge of thermometers and not traffic lights? I think you misunderstand this. I think Frosty has full knowledge of everything, and he's playing dumb to try to get out of the cop giving him a ticket. Because if he plays dumb enough, and it's like, well, how do you not know this? Oh, I was born five minutes ago. And he just gets out of the ticket right there. To be fair, uh, so as they're walking through town, there's a whole bunch of people freaking out at the sight of a snowman walking through town, which I guess makes sense. Uh... The traffic cop has no reaction other than yelling at Frosty for walking through the street. Well, every uh, law, the law comes first before all else when he's on duty. It gets better, though. So he explains that he has no idea what a traffic light is. One of the kids pipes up and is like, yeah, you gotta believe him, sir. He was born today. And this is where the cop loses his fucking mind. He's like, born today? Whoa, whoa, whoa. And it's just like, how is this where you draw your line in the sand of what you're not willing to fucking use? <laughs> Walking snowman, I can deal with that. Born today, definitely not. No. Keep me away from snowman and babies. Yeah. If you were today, we made the snowman today. Oh, that would be fine. Yeah. But how old is the snow? I think we have to go off the snow here. Hmm. I think it, it, Matt might be onto something. It's their use of the word born that he takes issue with. <laughs> who gave birth to the snowman. <laughs> uh, so they managed to make it to the train station. 
Uh, and once again, knock on the door to the Ticketmaster's uh, booth, and he explains, ah, oh, what's going on? And they're like, ah, oh, we need to get a train ticket to the North Pole so he can go to the North Pole. And the train master's, or ticket master, does like a silly little dance where he like mixes and shuffles up tickets and then he pulls one out and he's like, here you go, you're gonna have to take like 16 transfers and change stations at one point, but it's all good, here you go. I'm pretty sure you're just calling them out of money. <laughs> well, he goes to pass it to them and they're like, oh, thanks mister. He's like, that's gonna be $4,000.33, taxes included. And the kid's like, but we don't have any money, sir. It's just like, <laughs> all right, Frosty not understanding concepts I can accept. How do you not understand that you would have to pay an amount of money? I can understand, like, being surprised that it's that much because you're not aware of how much things cost. But you got to understand you're going to have to pay some amount of money to get a ticket to the North Pole. Um, Again, if this Frosty really is a demon, he's probably just trying to con these kids out of money. So we've talked about some of Frosty's... Uh, moral failings so far in the story where we're about to get to another big one so they recognize the fact that they cannot afford to pay for him to take a train to the north pole which is a shame and then they notice sitting on in front of the train station presumably the train he was going to catch if he paid for the tickets given that it's sitting at the train station is a steam engine a like passenger car and in the middle a refrigerated car uh, and Frosty's like, oh, perfect, a refrigerated car. And they open it up and it's full of ice cream and frozen Christmas cakes for Christmas. Which, honestly, if you're taking a train ride on Christmas Eve, like shortly before sunset, your Christmas cake's not getting there in time no. for Christmas. Um, but he's like, oh, this is perfect. I could ride in this uh, to get to the North Pole. No, you fucking can't, Frosty. You still haven't paid to take the train. You're now just train or... I... Fuck, I can't even remember the word for it. But you're stealing passage on a train. Um, stowaway. He's a fucking stowaway. And worse than that, uh, he turns to the kids and is like, Oh, well, do any of you want to come with me to the North Pole? And most of the kids walk away. But one of them's like, Ah, oh, that should be fine as long as I'm home in time for dinner. I'm, my mom won't care. I know fucking trains work, lady, but alright. <laughs> it's not how the planet works. I mean, we might have to consider the fact that they did have Christmas cakes on that train. Fair. The kids start riding on the train, and it is at this point that the narrator pops back in. He's like, you know, refrigerated trains are a fantastic way to travel. Specifically, if you're a snowman, or if you're a rabbit who used to be owned by a magician. If you're a fucking child, it sucks. And you see the child just fucking shivering all over the place. And then Frosty's like, ah, we need to do something about this. You can't be left on here. Oh, also I should explain that Shortly after they got on the train, the magician followed them and hopped onto the back of the train. So he is also stowing away on the train, just not in the refrigerated cart. Um, so the train stops for a second to allow another train to pass. And during this time, Frosty jumps off with the child into a fucking blizzard. Because that's going to be warmer than a refrigerated cart, of course. Uh, it's not refrigerated outside. Exactly. It's windy, though. <laughs> um the train starts to drive away, and the magician sitting on the back of the train is like, You tricked me, Frosty! It's like, no, he didn't. He just hopped off the train. Didn't even know you guys were following him. <laughs> uh, and then the magician hops off the train as well while it's rolling, but happens to fall down a mountain, because that's a thing that exists. Mountains are, in fact, things that exist. I don't know why I said that. That, like, that was a weird thing. <laughs> um, so Frosty starts carrying, her, uh, carrying the small child through the woods. At which point the narrator pipes in and is like, yeah, in fact, being outside of a blizzard, not significantly better than being inside of a refrigerated car. Kid is still super dying. So Frosty stumbles across a wooded glen inside which many forest animals are preparing for Santa's visit. Because Santa not only provides gifts to children, but also to small woodland creatures, apparently. <laughs> uh, and <laughs> I forgot about this part. And so... Uh, Frosty tasks the rabbit with convincing the animals to build a fire so that the child can warm up. Uh, and then <laughs> we get to my best scene, which is while the child is warming up by the fire, Frosty and the rabbit have a small conversation. When he's like, we need to figure out a way to get her home where she'll be safe and me to the North Pole. We need someone who's capable of doing that. And the rabbit mimes out, oh, we'll get the Marines to help out. And Frosty's like, no, nah, we're not going to get the Marines. And then... <laughs> the rabbit mimes up implying Frosty fully understands the implication yeah. of the marine. Oh yeah. my god. Uh, the rabbit very poorly mimes out the president of the United States, to which Frosty says, No, we can't get the president of the United States to help us out either. 
Once again, Ferrati very clearly aware of what the President of the United States is. Um, and refuse to get both involved. Might imply some shady background stuff going on. Uh, and then the rabbit gets real pissed off at him. And he's just like, no, those were both fantastic ideas. Which, sure, but I can't go back. Uh, but they're not in our direct vicinity, so that's not going to work, buddy. Uh, and then... Uh, the rabbit finally mimes up Santa, and of course, Frosty's like, Ah, Santa! That's a perfect choice. Go explain to the woodland creatures that we need Santa so that when he's dropping off the presents, we'll steal him away from his job of delivering presents to all the child we'll on the one day of the year that he has to deliver presents so that he can take me to the North Pole and take her back to her home. Deliver a person. Yeah, exactly. And so while they're having this conversation, the magician shows up, and he has been walking... So... Point of clarification, the small child has been wearing winter clothes this entire time and is nearly freezing to death in the cold outside. The magician has been wearing a tuxedo the entire time and is perfectly fine with the weather that he has been experiencing. He's a really um, good magician, apparently. Uh, no, he's explicitly the worst magician no, in town, he's... which might just mean that there are fantastic fucking magicians in that town. <laughs> Maybe it's like a loop thing where it goes so far around it comes back to no, itself. his clothes are magic. We've already established this with his hat. Uh, oh, that's true. Uh, so anyways, he blows out the fire that the child is warming herself at. Um, and then Frosty grabs the child and starts running away and starts belly sliding through the hills. Once again, the narrator pipes in to explain that because of the fact that Frosty's body is made of snow, he is the perfect person for sledding on snow. Because we, as we all know, there's no friction between snow and snow. Are we just going to breeze over the fact the magician's trying to murder a girl? Yes, we are. Uh, huh. I didn't even get that part. <laughs> Until now. Uh, so, they come across a uh, greenhouse out in the middle of nowhere. Which, you know, middle of the nowhere greenhouses, that's a thing we find. Where they're growing tropical poinsettias. So, of course, it's going to be nice and warm in there. Uh, so, Frosty explains that he's going to bring the child inside. And the child's like, oh, you can't go in there. It's going to be warm. You'll melt. And he's like, I'll only be in there for like a minute, so I'll be fine. Besides, I've been meaning to lose some weight. Anyways, uh, why does he have to go in with her at all? She's capable of walking. He can let her enter while he stands outside. Which leads to the fucking climax of this story, which is Frosty walks in with the child. And then the magician runs up directly behind them and locks the door behind them. So they're locked inside the greenhouse. And Frosty melts. Uh, while this is happening, uh, Santa arrives at the wooded glen, comes down the hill to meet up with them, uh, sees the small child crying over Frosty's puddle, uh, and then he... Alright, let's just fucking... Works blood magic? He opens up the door, to which wind comes in, collects the puddle, turns it back into snow, and then Frosty comes back to life. They reassemble all the entrapments of him, like his butt nose. They don't put the top hat back on first, because the girl brings out the top hat... And the magician explains, ah, I've got this now. And he reaches for it. And Tinta says, ah, 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 if you put one fucking finger on that hat, I will never give you another gift for the rest of your life. And the magician's like, <laughs> oh, that's that's a sincere threat. I <laughs> I need to take that under advisement. And he starts walking away. And Tinta's like, now you go home and you write down, I am sorry for what I have done. A hundred zillion times, and then I'll start giving you gifts again. So this magician is never getting another gift, regardless of where no. they touch that hat. Because <laughs> it's not even a real number. It's not. Uh, Frosty's brought back to life once again. Happy birthday, the thing we all know that snowmen say now. Uh, and then the little girl is brought home, and Frosty is brought to the North Pole. And it is explained that every time it snows on Christmas, that magic snow can be used to make a snowman, which will bring back Frosty. Not explaining the fact that you also definitely need the magic hat to finish the work, which is now in the North Pole. So you can't actually remake Frosty. But trust me, you can remake Ma Frosty because the snow is what was magic. Unless there's multiple Un magic hats. Yeah, or unless, now that Frosty has been established with the magic hat, he's now powerful enough to send his snow to make more clones oh, to like bring to the North Pole. He's like Sandman from Marvel Comics, except he's Snowman. <laughs> he's bringing more snowmen to the North Pole to take over. He's a hive mind. This is fucking horrifying. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, that's the plot of Frosty and the Snowman, for those of you who aren't familiar. Uh, it's beautiful, and also I rewatched it and was like, what the fuck? <laughs> so we've got evil dentists, eldritch gods, now what do we got, Keith? Just an asshole. Mine's the Grinch. Oh. The most relatable of all Christmas uh, heroin, heroes, not heroines. <laughs> He's, I think, definitively a male. 
So the one I picked is a bit different from yours. Uh, mine's a Dr. Seuss one, Grinch Stole Christmas. Uh, I think more people will recognize it by the song more so than the animated short, which is about 25 minutes long. It's still a classic among classics. Exactly. Uh, so in this one, there was also things I didn't remember from this one. Like, for example, in the opening moments of the movie when they're explaining the Grinch, he fucking twists his head fully around. Oh, like, I definitely remember. 60 degrees. Because his head wasn't screwed on quite right. That's one of the reasons that his uh, he doesn't love. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's going to be more to that sentence and then I realize, no, there doesn't need to be. <laughs> and there's like a lot of things where like, I don't know if I should just chalk it up to it's a cartoon or it's Dr. Seuss. But the premise of the movie is Grinchel's up in the mountain, Mount Crumpet, and there's Whoville down below. And they just go crazy for Christmas. To the point that he gets angry because they're so goddamn loud and disturbing his peace. He's like, fine, I'm going to take all their shit. So really, there's no, nothing in this that in this short specifically indicates that the Grinch specifically hates Christmas. Aside from the fact that he hates people. Yeah. yeah, he explicitly doesn't hate Christmas, I think, is the collective uh, thing we've all accepted. It's that he hates Christmas celebrations that other people poured on, forcing him to participate. Mostly because the only one he knows of is way too loud. Yeah. He, he hates obnoxious people, which we can all relate to. And he doesn't have any police to complain to about noise. Because the police are also participating in the noise. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the movie is relatively short and just like a lot of stuff. Like, I'm pretty sure... The movie, or the, I should say the TV special, is 25 minutes long, but I'm pretty sure there's only 18 minutes of actual drawn footage that isn't reused. I because it, it's just like, it's just, uh, what's the word for it? Montage of him just stealing. It's just right. like him burglaring the, this village for a good 15 minutes of this short. Yeah. And we get such moments uh, as he knocks a bunch of Christmas ordinance into a mouse hole and it comes up the drain pipe of the house. Again, is that cartoon or just Dr. Seuss? I don't know. Uh, for some reason, the Grinch turns into a snake for quite a few of this. Oh, I remember uh, that. And they use that scene a bit. Yep. It's not a one-off. It's a thing. It's one of his canonical skills, apparently. Yep. And, uh, and while they're doing all these montages, too, they're playing the music in the background. Because, like, I'm going to go steal Christmas. He has to dress up like Santa for this for some reason. And he gets his dog, Max, to carry the sled. Almost, he almost staples the antlers to his head, doesn't he? Pretty much. Oh my god. I don't think he follows through with it, but he no. definitely considers it. Yeah. He tied them on in the end, I think. Yeah. And then we get like a bunch of like great moments of him stealing things. Like uh, he specifically takes the plant leaves off of plants, but he's already taken like full Christmas trees and like all the food in the fridge and the like cabinets, but like he refuses to take the potted plant except for the leaves. I think... That's an important thing to note because one of the main things people remember about the drink, uh, the Grinch is he steals Christmas and then he gives it all back so that they can have the Christmas and get all their stuff back. Those plants that he tore all the leaves off aren't being fixed. Like, that is a dead plant now for the rest of its existence. Also, he didn't just fucking steal Christmas. He stole everything in the house. There's yeah. multiple scenes where you see the house afterwards. There's no furniture in there. It's just a bunch of wire and hooks on the wall with, like, maybe some garland. But he doesn't even, like, the little, like, oh, there's not even uh, a crumb small, like, big enough for a mouse. And the mouse comes over to get the crumb and he fucking steals that. Yeah. Uh, the one scene that I still enjoy quite a bit, though, is the big town uh, Christmas tree in the middle where he just walks up to it and, like, an umbrella just closes it and fucking yeah. takes it away. <laughs> Which you gotta realize, he didn't, like, magically install that technology in the tree. That tree was designed to be collapsible like an umbrella, which is just the who's bringing it upon themselves at a certain point. <laughs> now, there is another character that we encounter in this movie as well. And Cindy that's Lou Cindy Lou Who. And I, this is something, I don't know if I didn't catch it when I was younger, but... So we see the Grinch taking all these Christmas ornaments and they're, like, falling off the tree. And they're, you know, normal size that you'd expect. But one falls off and obviously goes and wakes up Cindy Lou Who, and she brings it back. And she's the fucking size of the Christmas ornament. Yeah. They're tiny. Yeah. <laughs> like, wait, what, what, what? And the Grinch is a more regular size. Yeah. Not all the Who's are tiny, though, are they? No. Huh. Some of the Who's are tiny, but definitely not all of them. But uh, essentially this ends with he tricks her, takes the last of stuff, robs everyone in the town blind, and then works his way back up the mountain. It's like, ha, fun, some peace and quiet, and they fucking start caroling. And it's like, oh, they're singing, it's loud, I can still hear it, Jesus. And then his heart grows three sizes, but he doesn't die because reasons apparently his heart was way too small 
And then he ends up almost losing the presents, but then brings them back down to town, delivers them all. So he's Santa Claus now, I guess, within the logic of this world. And they have Christmas, both materialistic and not. Because he finds out the meaning of a Christmas and decides you can have both. Huh. Yep. Makes sense. The meaning of Christmas is not the material, it's the immaterial. But at the same time, the material is a very important part of Christmas. Yeah, and, and like I said, the, the big thing of this is kind of the song. So I actually have the lyrics here. And I thought we could go over some of these interesting okay. ideas of them. You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. You really are a heel. Yep. You're as cuddly as a cactus, as charming as an eel. Mr. Grinch, you're a bad banana with a greasy black peel. Yeah, that one just paints a bad picture. You're a monster, Mr. Grinch. Your heart's an empty hole. Your brain is full of spiders. You've got garlic in your soul. <laughs> Mr. Grinch, I wouldn't touch you with a 39 and a half foot pole. Yeah. 40 foot, perfectly all right. But 39 and a half, not quite long enough. What about 39, just straight on the dot? Oh, also, no, not no, long enough. Not... If he's not going to touch it with the 39 and a half, he's also not going to get half a foot close. I don't want to risk those spiders crawling out his brain and down the pole. You're a vile one, Mr. Grinch. You have termites in your smile. You have all the tender sweetness of a seasick crocodile. Mr. Grinch, given the choice uh, between the two of you, I'd take the seasick crocodile. <laughs> You're a foul one, Mr. Grinch. You're a nasty, westy skunk. Yep. So we get into, like, furry shit here. Thank you, Dr. Seuss. <laughs> Your heart is full of unwashed socks. Your soul is full of gunk. So he's got multiple souls or just a lot of stuff going on there. Mr. Grinch... The three words that best describe you are as follows, and I quote, stink, stank, stunk. Yep, all of that seems accurate to the Grinch from my experience. You're a rotten one, Mr. Grinch. You're the king of sinful sots. Yep. Your heart's a dead tomato splotched with moldy purple spots. Your soul is an appalling dump heap overflowing with the most dis disgraceful assortment of deplorable rubbish imaginable, mangled up and tangled up in knots. You'd nauseate me, Mr. Grinch, with a nausea super nos. You're a crooked, dirty jockey, and you drive a crooked hoss. Mr. Grinch, you're a three-decker sauerkraut and toasted sandwich with arsenic sauce. Huh. You know, after hearing that song, I'm starting to understand why the Grinch hates people, given that clearly someone took the time to write a song about how much he fucking sucks. Yeah, and this has to be before all the Christmas stuff happens. Yep. Yeah. yeah, makes sense. Which uh, brings into question why it was a song, of all things, that changed his heart. Yeah, and it just gets more aggressive as it goes on, too. Like, the first, like, oh, you know, you cut these cactus, as charming as he was like, oh, okay, uh, you know, a fun jest. <laughs> Your soul is an appalling dump heap overflowing with the most disgraceful assortment of deplorable rubbish imaginable. Yeah. It goes from calling him a heel, which is an important part of wrestling community, which is the person who intentionally antagonizes the crowd, to calling him... Like, scum of the fucking earth, essentially. <laughs> You're a crooked, dirty jockey. <laughs> You're bringing jockeys into this now? You fucking jockey. <laughs> I want to know more about the person who wrote that fucking song <laughs> about their feelings on the world. And of course, with the Grinch, uh, I think it's one of the ones that have kind of, like, maintained its popularity through the years. To the point, like, new content gets made. I know they remade the cartoon version. Uh, there's the Jim Carrey interpretation, which causes its own problems in the story of this. Yes. Yes. For example, Santa Claus is real in this one, but Santa Claus never appears in the cartoon version. So that starts up a whole new realm of things. Also, in... Actually, I can't remember if the cartoon one explains that it all takes place in a snowflake. It does. Oh, it okay. does, yeah. Which brings into question, their lives must be incredibly short Incred where time passes really fast in these snowflakes yes. and every time absolutely passes really fast because they in at the very least the Jim Carrey one where it is explicitly shown to take place on a snowflake uh, we see the end of one Christmas and then a whole year passes before the next Christmas so at least a year passes in the life cycle of this one snowflake which means it's, it's not that because we years. get the flashbacks to Jim Carrey's Grinch as a child. Right. That's so we know years. that the time is stretched in some way so that a year on the snowflake is not a year in real oak of the snowflake life. Like every day night cycle is the snowflake rotating once. 
Yeah, it twirls in the fucking wind. And every time you catch a snowflake on your tongue, you destroy a who society. You devour them and gain their power. <laughs> not sure I want to devour the Grinch, to be honest. Did you not see how fucking massively powerful he was when he caught the fucking sled from falling off the cliff at the top of Mount Crumpet? True, true, but... Imagine how much power you would have. <laughs> <sighs> that is a good point. You just have to make sure to catch the snowflake on your tongue after his heart has gone three sizes. Because if you catch it beforehand, uh, then yes, you're probably going to get turbo cancer. And that's die. where the power comes from. The heart. <laughs> your heart will shrink and you will die. And get three times Because he's just power. a nasty, wasty skunk before that. Yeah. <laughs> you're just going to get songs written about how much you fucking suck <laughs> if you catch a snowflake too early. Uh, that already happens. <laughs> Matt, you tell me who's writing songs about you and I will find them and hurt them. I thought it was you. Is it me? Is it? If it's me, then I will find and hurt myself. <laughs> so well, yeah, that's uh, that's three Christmas care or three uh, Christmas classics in a nutshell. Yeah, <laughs> which one's best? Which one's worst? You decide. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot more than what we went through too. There's like you know Santa Claus is coming. To, like we kind of stuck to like the cartoon ones, like the yeah, shorts that yeah. are on TV. But there's even like classic movies and stuff like that that can kind of like there's the multiple versions of a Christmas Carol, which are all great. Yeah. In fact, a wonderful life. Yeah, I, you've probably at this point already listened to our episode about a Christmas Carol. So yeah, like there's lots fucking out there. A Wonderful Life is probably one of my all-time favorite for like movies. Movies, just it's something I've watched since I was a fucking kid. All right. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, thanks for listening. Hope we uh, enriched your Christmas experience in uh, any sort of way. Leave a comment. Contact us at what is my podcast about at gmail.com and uh, tune in for our next episode. Bye. Bye bye. Bye. Happy birthday! <laughs>